0: good morning. Proverbs chapter 15, excuse me, 14, Proverbs 14, verse number 20, verse number 20. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace this morning. We thank you for allowing us another day. Thank you for the breath of life. I pray God that you would help us and and strengthen us to live uh, both physically and spiritually. God, I pray that you would breathe into us uh, that spiritual breath of life that would help us to walk the Chris, uh, Christian life, help us to walk the walk that we ought to, God, help us to walk worthy of the vocation we're with, we're called, and we'll thank you and praise you for that. I pray that you'd open the Word this morning, both in the Sunday school hour and in the morning service. I pray, God, that you would help us and strengthen us this morning. Again, be merciful to us, and we do thank you. For the mercy that you give us by allowing us another day to live. And we thank you and praise you for everything that you do. Forgive us, God, where we come short. Forgive us where we fail you. Forgive us our sins. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Amen. All right. Verse number 20. The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Do they not err that devise evil? But mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. The crown of the wise is the riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. A true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies." In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And the multitude of people is the king's honor, but in the want of people is the destruction of the prince. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteousness, but excuse me, the righteous hath hope in his death. Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding, but that which is in the midst of fools is made known. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward the wise is toward a wise servant. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causeth. Shame. Pretty good stretch of reading there. If we can cover that this morning, we'll be doing well. Back up to verse number twenty and twenty-one. The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. Well, I think it's pretty easy to see why the rich has many friends. Hey, man, that's a that's a collective statement there. That that really is self-explanatory. He says the. The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. So you get uh, into a society or a group of folks that that really only uh, deals with one another because of what advantage it has to them. It separates love, you understand. There's no love there. There's no... Uh, charity, there's no interest in the benefit of the other and so that it's, it's really the verse again like I say is self explanatory. You love those that can do something for you and if your neighbor's poor well then there's no reason to go see him and there's no reason to go you know, see what his name is or uh, what he's about, where he works or what you can do for him there's, uh, there's really no reason for that so the poor is hated even of his neighbor it sets up verse 31 in verse number twenty one together, so we'll read those together. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he and then verse twenty one he that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor that, and that is he that honoreth him his maker. you honor God, you'll, you'll do right towards your neighbor you don't honor that's why it's so important. To have the Ten Commandments in your courthouses houses and stu- such as that, because the honor of God is the only way you can build a good society. Without God, you you're a leech on society. Yeah. Amen. So we'll we'll build on that concept here for just a few minutes. Back up in verse twenty one, he that despiseth his neighbor sinneth. And that's a pretty good. That's a that's a pretty good definition. I, I was about to say for our generation, but it's a good it's a good explanation. It's a good it's a good delineation for any generation. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth. It's a definition of sin. It's not just liquor and playing cards and different stuff like that. Sin is despising your neighbor. That's a sin. It's a sin today. Well Jesus died for our sins. It's still a sin. That's one thing that's one concept that a lot of folks don't understand. They're being it's not just that they don't understand it, they're being taught differently. They're saying Jesus Christ died for our sins. You ask him to save you and therefore there is no sin anymore. But John tells us plainly, he says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and that's a great and a true statement for any age as well. From Genesis to Revelation men are sinners. And so he says, he that despiseth his neighbor sinneth. You got uh, an evil eye towards your neighbor. You don't think well of him. You say, well, my neighbor's a bum. and He he don't deserve thoughts. Well, you're a Christian. (laughs) Well, see, that argument's hard to win, ain't it? Well, my neighbor's a thief. You're a Christian. But I believe we ought to stand up. I understand that, but you're a Christian. Amen. Uh, my mind always goes back to uh, to a fellow named Bobby, and I got I can't remember his last name right off the bat. I had to go back and look in my Bible. His name will probably come to me, though I used to know it as well as my own. But Bobby broke into the store down up there before I uh, before I ended up going to Delaware and different places like that. Uh, down in North Carolina, worked at a little convenience store when I was a younger man. A fellow named Bobby broke into the store. The immediate, uh, the immediate rush of adrenaline and, and stuff such as I say, broke into the store. He was shoplifting is what he was doing. The immediate rush of of uh, anger and the situation itself called for some animated emotions and. And But once that subsided, was able to witness to the boy and win him to the Lord and, and the following week see that he was really getting somewhere as far as a, a building a spiritual life and his family got put back together. Well, I could have just remained, you know, highly animated. and Well, this guy's nothing but a bum. He'd throw some stuff under his jacket and run out the door and, you know, just he's no good. And, boy, we never want to see you around here again. Could have went that way. He was a thief. But we were Christians. Myself, the manager of the store, we were Christians. Amen? Well, my neighbor, you know, he, he his dog drags his trash into our yard and I'm just fed up with it. Yeah, but you're a Christian. Amen? The reason You can find a reason to, to despise anybody. Well, that person, every time they come to church, you know, they just, dot, dot, dot. You can, you, can find a, you can find a good reason to despise anybody. And who is our neighbor? That question is going to come up as, as long as uh, as long as eternity rolls since the Lord brought it up himself, amen? The, the Lord dealing with folks and somebody says, hey, who is my neighbor? The Lord says, I'm glad you asked that. As a matter of fact, he must have inspired him to ask that, amen? But he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is it not? Well, that's Scripture. And he says to the man, he said, well, he told him the the story of the Samaritan. And what we derive from it, without going through the whole story, is that everybody's our neighbor. If you come upon somebody and they have a need, which that kind of includes the whole planet, does it not? Well, we can despise him or we can bind them up. We can give them what they need. Amen? So that really... It really, uh, really, it really speaks to the, one of the main problems that Bible believers have today: is that we're ticked off because we act like everybody's breaking our own rules. Amen. They're not breaking your rules; they're breaking God's rules. He's my God. Well, the prophet of at least one of the prophets of the Old Testament we know fell under this category. He said, "I was very jealous for your sake." Now, if that's your problem, then it's legitimate. It's a legitimate thought process, Amen. If you you and you follow the Lord and you love the Lord and somebody breaking the Lord's rules and boy, well, you see a fit to get angry about it. Well, it's understandable, but it's understandable in the flesh. It's not understandable in the spirit. The fleshly man will say, "Lord, you want us to call down fire and burn them in their fifty? that's what Elijah done that same, that same idea crossed the mind of the Lord's disciples but that's the flesh see the spiritual man says man they're nuts but we got to help them that's why we were left here that's why Christ came to, be, to fulfill the promises to the circumcision and to give mercy to the Gentiles Amen. And so, and this is just, this is talking about your neighbor. Of course, it it conjures to your mind just the idea of the person that lives next to you, but it's really anybody that you meet. Saved or lost. The Bible says for us to have a good report of them that are without. That's talking about people outside the Bounds of Christianity, people that are unbelievers, people that see us from the outside. Amen. So the poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but he, but the rich hath many friends. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. I want you to look at that in maybe an abstract way, but it's, it's clearly there in the passage. Are you happy? That's awful quiet right there. Amen, Brother Mike. I'm happy this morning. Are you happy? Yeah. If not, it might have something to do with your relationship with your fellow man. I don't want to get too much into the habit of saying fellow man because the world uses that to dismiss God. Yeah. Oh, you got to your fellow man. God first. Amen. Then your fellow man. Right, yeah. If you get your Responsibility to God handled, you'll have a right uh, outlook and such as that towards your fellow man. You'll have the right disposition to man if you have the right disposition to God. You fear God and keep his commandments, you'll be doing well to your neighbor. And that, the scripture said as much. Verse 31, he that, approacheth the poor, uh, he that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker. But he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. He that oppresseth the poor brings to mind the Democrat Party. Brother Mike, you standing for the Republican Party? No, the Republican Party too. Amen. All politics are about the oppression of the poor. But in our country, especially the Democrats, you you get power by feeding off the poor. If you'll do this, I'll help you out. None of them got help yet. None. Matter of fact, if the government helps you, you'll be in a ghetto before too long. Amen. The, the universal equality of man always ends up in the, in the equality of the poor. Amen. That's what, that's what government equality makes. It makes people poor because it's the only possible way to make everybody equal is to make them poor amen you say why is that well let me the verse is right here in front of you verse 23 in all labor there is profit that's your labor if I want to make you all equal I'll take your labor away from you take your labor away from you you become poor you're all equal you're all oppressed That's the way it works. That's the way it goes. So, Brother Mike, all people are equal. At birth, they're all equal. At birth, everybody's equal. You're 35 years old, you're not equal to everybody else. You're born equal. You're born, this is the way equality works. Every man in his best state's altogether vanity. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. The wages of sin is death in that you're equal in all labor there is profit that makes you equal equality of of consequence equality of outcome in other words, ensuring that everybody grows up to be happy and healthy and wise and wealthy that's 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 ridiculous it'll it'll never happen it'll never work the only the only Equality there can be is in the realm of, of principle. If you don't have any, the way of the transgressor is hard. If you do have, if you do have principle, he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. It's consequence, and consequences are not equal. And oh, coincidentally, that's where the issue is. The The modern-day push is to get rid of those principles and still have the outcome. It's just not possible. In other words, they'll tell you this. They'll tell you that abortion is a right. It never can be a right. Abortion never can be a right. The right to choose. A woman's right to choose. Well, if you're talking about doing a thing, then you have a right to choose. If you're talking about dealing with the consequences of already having made a choice, then you have no absolutely no right about that. You go to the highest court in the land, they say you have a right to dismiss a consequence of an action. If that's what they're saying, then... By that statement, then you could say very easily that I robbed the bank, I did get caught by the police, and now I choose not to go to jail. It's the very same as saying we got into an adult situation that we shouldn't have been in, wound up expecting a child, and now we don't want to have that child. Well, the choice should have been made pre-engagement. Amen. And the, those who argue against that are it's the same vein, it's the same philosophy as saying, make everybody equal no matter what. no matter their action, no, sir, you're not equal. You're not equal. If you want equality, you have to work for that. If you've got one man who has went to work and paid his bills and made an honest living, and you've got one person that's went out into the drug culture or to any other any, other, uh, underhanded, any under, underhanded part of society and made a living and been called for it, that person is not equal. He has to earn his way back into good standing within the society. That's the only way you can get it. You can't take what somebody else has earned and give it to somebody else for free. It works in every aspect of life. Get a young fella, he just gets saved. He looks at the ministry and says, man, I'd really like to be a pastor. I really would like to be a pastor. Two months later, he's going to be a, a preacher and two months later, he's going to be in the full-time ministry. He don't deserve that. That's not, he, don't, he don't have a place there. You say, why? Because this is not an Old Testament. This is not the Old... Listen, in the Old Testament, you were forced... You understand what I'm saying? Uh, a Jewish man had a Jewish child, and he forced the, the law forced them into a situation where that's the only option you have. He grew up with the reading of the law, the instruction of the law, and God could come by at any time because they were all included from eight days, circumcised. You're in. And God comes by and says, you, I've raised you up for this cause. In the New Testament, that's not the way it goes. God didn't come by and get you off the street one day and put you into the ministry the next. In the Old Testament, he says, I knew you before you was in your mother's womb, and I've raised you up for this purpose. In the New Testament, he says, not a novice. Amen? You see the difference? One is a society that's set up under the law of God. You have no choice. In the New Testament, do you believe? Yes. Okay, sit down and be discipled. Well, God saved me and God called me to preach it. Many a mistake's been made in the New Testament by one who says, God called me to do this or God called me to do that. Well, if God called you to do something, he called you to sit down and be discipled first. Answer that call. Amen. For this cause, he said, Paul said, uh, Paul said, and uh, I quoted you a different verse that I've been studying on this morning. But Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11, he said, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end, ye may be established. Once you get established, you can... See, that's what he told Timothy. He said... He said, the things that I'm teaching you, he said, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This is a different, I use that illustration simply to say this, you can't expect what you haven't earned. Well, brother Mike, God has given me plenty of things that I didn't earn. Well, that's the grace of God. That's the goodness of God. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You know if you've been in church a short time and God has been good to you and God has given you uh, Bible teaching, if God has enlightened your eyes and showed you some things that perhaps it might be considered advanced, it might be considered uh, it might be considered everyday average uh, knowledge, it might, might be some special thing that God's done for you in the sense of supernatural things. He might have met your needs in a certain way. That's the grace of God. That's God's grace. That's God's goodness. But don't ever forget, on the other side of the grace of God, there is a statement that says that you're to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And that is not simply a statement made to preachers. It's to Christians. Walk worthy. You say, what do I get for a worthy walk? Reward. Hey man. now let's get back. I don't want to spend too much time on that that's a, That's an Ephesians class, not a proverbs class, but it fits the it fits the uh it fits the the topic here. Happy is he. See what he says? He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. This society says everybody ought to be happy well, only if you meet the the requirements for happiness and so I ask you again, are you happy? If not, it might be. See, the book of Proverbs will give you many such instances like this that produce happiness. I've told you, and the Scripture has told you many times in these past 14 chapters, that if you'll live right, that it has certain consequences, actions and consequences. This verse isn't the only one that produces it, but this, if you study Proverbs very closely, it'll give you a list of things you ought to do that'll produce happiness in your life. Happiness and health, and in many cases, wealth. In all labor, there is profit. I'm not saying you'll get wealthy, but if you work a day's labor, you've got a day's wage. If you don't work a day's labor, you are got nothing. But a lot of us work our mouths That's what verse 23 says. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. Penury means a lack of property. I wish I had that. Stop talking about it and go work for it. Amen. Amen. Many's the time that I said, I wish I had that, but I've got to leave it right there because I'm not going to dwell on something that I haven't worked for. Amen. But see, oh, here we go again. This must just come down from the heaven. We spend many, we spend too much time wishing and talking about things that we're not willing to work for. You're not willing to work for it. If you're not willing to work for it, it's not a sin not to have it. It's only society that tells you you must have this or you must have that. Sometimes it's not society. It's just you. It's not a sin to have it. It's not a sin not to have it. One of the, where, where things become sinful is you sit around and you're greedy of gain. I got to have that. No, you ain't got to have that. So I, I need it very much. Okay, stop talking about needing it and go work because wanting it doesn't produce it. They say, well, there has to be willpower there. Exactly. There has to be willpower there. But if you see you've got it wrong, you've got the will to have it, but not the will to work. but this I'll guarantee you if you somehow obtain the will to work, the will to have will slowly fade. Think about that. I'm going to let that sink in a little bit. People have their their attitudes. You know, your mother used to say, you're big enough where your wants won't hurt you. Anybody ever say that? Anybody's mother ever say that besides mine? Mama, I want this. Well, you're big enough where your wants won't hurt you. Well, in many cases, people's wants are hurting them. They're more busy talking about it and wishing for it and being greedy of it and lusting after it that they're not doing anything. That and again, the imagination is the god of the flesh. It can keep you consumed there. You can, uh, many people can be just as happy wanting a thing as owning a thing. And matter of fact, most things are easier to want than they are to maintain. Oh yeah. Right. yeah. I want a great big car. Okay, go get yourself a great big car. Oh yeah. Congratulations by the way. But besides that, not speaking to you directly, enjoy the gas bill. <laughs> I mean, things are easier to want than they are to maintain. And and the god of the flesh will have most people sitting there thinking about, man, I need three bathrooms. I need four. I need five bathrooms. I mean, I'm going to have visitors. I need three extra bedrooms and Mhm. Wait till you have to, wait till you put shingles over all that all them bathrooms. Amen. <laughs> it costs. It costs. And so the you put your will on the work side. And then all that wanting, you know, I worked real hard. If I just gave you a $1,000, you blow it just like that. You work for it, different story. Right, right. You know what's invested in it, and then it, you know, when what you have becomes an investment rather than just something you own, Things are different. The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. So you take what you've labored for and you invest it in somebody that needs it. In other words, the grace of God that was bestowed upon you, you let that become still the grace of God, but the grace of Nathan on his neighbor or the grace of Miss Judy on her neighbor, it's That grace is now reciprocal. It's You thank God for it and you give it to somebody else. Happiness. Happiness. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that's between you and God. Test it out and see. All right, let's move along. Verse number 22. Do do they not err that devise evil? But mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. I'm going to stay on the positive side of this one because it continues on really from what verse 20 and 21 was saying. Do they not err that divides evil? Now, who do you suppose you're devising evil against? At the very, at the very least, well, I shouldn't say the least, at the forefront of it, it's evil against God because, you know, when David, David sinned against Bathsheba and David sinned against her husband, When David confessed his sin, he said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned, done this great evil in thy sight. So all sin is ultimately against God. Amen? Now, uh, in that sense, I believe that's 100% correct. Perhaps the the aim of David was not to make that point. I can't disagree with the scriptures at all, can I? Say no. (laughs) Absolutely not. But as long as I understand, as long as you understand that David did sin against his neighbor. Amen. So I'm not disagreeing with the scripture. I'm just saying if, if, if David didn't include that part of it in there, I'm sure he did before he got to the point where he would confess his sin to God. Amen. If, uh, I, I'm assuming that, but I've got the right to assume it because it's true. But here he says, but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good." So instead of, you know, devising uh, what you might do to your neighbor or what, how you might get an advantage on him, you devise a way to do good. Figure a way to get, amen, figure a way to do something right. Figure out a way to get a witness out. Brother Mike preached to you on Wednesday night about being a witness and about, about having boldness and stuff. Figure a way. Well, I'm not a very good talker. Well, get over that, but until you do get over that, find a way. Leave a track in the bathroom, scaredy cat. Amen. At least when you get to heaven, you can say, Well, God, I gave the toilet hanger uh, about 500,000 tracks when I was down there on the earth. I was giving them phone booths. They used to be phone booths all over the place. I was giving them phone booths a track every day. Well really God didn't call you to give phone but I understand the you know go down and give library books gospel tracts pull them off the shelf stick them in there but don't stick don't stick them in the encyclopedia britannica some of them books don't even get looked at <laughs> man stick them in the magazines and put them over by the computers people don't read books no more we we'll stick them over there by the computers or something like that. Most people going to the library this day and time are going to get on the computers. But at any rate, uh, get away from that subject for just a minute. Find a way. Amen. You, it's, it really comes down to what your idea of good is. Amen. The truth shall be, to, but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. So devise good. I mean, if good to you is I don't know. I, we don't really have time to go into that. I don't guess. But some people think good is just going to church or buying a Bible. Yeah, I went and bought a Bible the other day. Well, listen, doing good, what he's talking about is doing good to others. The neighbor, your neighbor is the context of the verses we've been dealing with. The poor devise a way to do them good. The very best thing you could do for the poor is to disciple them for Christ. Amen. It's a slow process. If you haven't been a very principled person since your youth, it's a slow process, but it ends up at the same place. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about getting saved, beginning to have the Lord turn your life around, replace the lack of principle with principle, and start living right and doing right. And all the things you've lost in life, whether you got saved at 15 or 55, all the things, all the opportunities, all the goods, all the land, all the stuff that you missed by doing wrong, you can slowly begin to earn and gain. It's a slow process. But doing right always in the same place. Whereas your mind used to be dark, and your mind used to be full of care and full of worry and full of anxiety, that thing can be replaced with Steadfastness and establishment and peace and joy, the process is slow. It's called discipleship. Amen. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that's every Christian ought to memorize you ought to memorize a lot of verses, but every Christian ought to memorize Romans chapter twelve verse one two and I think you could memorize I think you' memorize the whole chapter but Perhaps verse 3 would be, do, do you well as well. But he says the, in verse number 22, do, not they, do they not err that devise evil, but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. Mercy, not just mercy, but mercy and truth. If you're thinking about good things to do, then God will give you good ideas to do it with. So God will teach you truth, but it's the device of your heart. See, that's why the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, it says the scripture, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. He says, dividing asunder between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God sees what you're devising, and he's going to give you truth accordingly. If you just want to be seen, if you just want to be heard, if you've got the pride of this, if you if if you've got this somehow got this pride that says, I'm going to get myself glory by speaking for God or whatever the case might be or you know, I'm going to here's a group of people who seem to be accepting everybody. I'll be what they expect and then I'll be respected. I'll give them what they expect and then I'll be respected. God sees that division, He'll teach you some kind of foolishness. I believe with all my heart that's what happens to people like Stephen Anderson out there and, I mean, my soul, how could, how could you even want to move to the middle of the desert anyway? I don't know nothing about that place out there. But uh, People say, well, we got to free all those people. Those people are not there by accident. Well, we got to keep people from being deceived. People don't get deceived by accident. I'd hate to be a deceiver, but I'd hate to be deceived as well. And there's a a combination for both. There's a combination that fits both of those locks. If you don't want to be deceived yourself, there's a combination for that. We just read it. If you don't want to be deceived by others, there's a combination for that as well. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Do they not err that devise evil? But mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. We've already dealt with that verse. Let's move on. Verse 24. The crown of the wise is the riches, but the foolishness, of, uh, the foolishness of fools is folly. The crown of the wise, the riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. And so again, I say uh, labor works actions and consequences. And whatever it is you're working for is your riches. Amen? The crown of the wise is the riches. So let's apply that to the Christian. Lay up your treasure in heaven. Set your affection on things above. Your singular affection. We missed recording Brother Nathan's sermon on that passage. It's one of the best sermons that I ever heard in my life. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. That's where your riches will be. A wise man will definitely have riches in heaven. Not all wise people are rich and have a lot of money, but all, all wise people are rich in the thing that they are setting their hearts and minds on. Maybe your riches is Bible knowledge. Maybe it's seeing converts, which all of us should have some affection for seeing converts, shouldn't we? That's riches, amen? But so that's what it is. A wise man, what he sets his heart on, he'll gain, and a fool will have folly. You'll look at a wise man, you'll see what he's after. That's that's the... Uh, Paul said in one place, he said... Uh, and I can't quote the verse of scripture and I can't even get it in my mind straight right now, but basically what he's saying is I don't want you to appear naked. But in this case right here, all of us appear naked, if I can use that expression without being immature at all. You say, why? He says, the crown of the wise is the riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. We all stand before God completely unshrouded by mystery, There's no mystery to God what we're after. And if you, ta- if you take five seconds and slow down a little bit, you'll see what all, everybody you run into, if you've known them a couple of days or a couple of weeks, you'll see what their riches are. You'll see what their, what their expectation in life is because people have just about what they've been working for. And they might be saying, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. But you can quickly look at their life and tell if that's what they've, what they've acquired or not. Because you don't ask God for a fish and he'd give you a stone. Man, so a person that's chasing after principles, he'll have some. A person that's chasing after Bible knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, he'll have some. A person that's chasing after a good time, man, they're having a blast. Even David said that about people who weren't living correctly. He said, they don't have problems like other people. No, all, all you see is the folly. All you see is the laughter. We just read the scripture, uh, I believe it was last week. He said, the end of that mirth is happiness. They're laughing, but their heart's still Lacking. So the foolishness of fools is, is folly. The foolishness of fools is just the house of mirth. Just have a good time all the time. Amen. Some of us went out to dinner last night. If you, if you weren't able to make it, maybe you can make the next one. Everybody's invited. Amen. But we had a good time. Sat around the table, talked a little bit, laughed, had a good time. It's a great time. We can't do that 24 hours a day every day. Number one, we'd be fat. Of course, you'd have to eat 24 hours a day if you're eating Oriental food. You'd have to eat 10 billion pounds of it to, for you to gain a pound. But, but at any rate, I uh, don't need to get into the downside of Oriental food, but some people live for that. All they want to do is have fun. All they want to do is get together and joke and laugh. That's not what life is about. I wish it were. It's fun, but if you, you can look around, and tell what somebody is is after and exactly what they've arrived at. Amen. And a lot of the people that's just laughing, that just laugh that folly, people that are just all the time. Um, I don't want to say happy because if somebody's truly happy, that's that's well and good, but it comes from a certain source. A, a fellow that won't work. A fellow that won't. Do what he, Some people will go to work from 9 to 5. You understand that. But there are a lot of people that go to work 9 to 5. They don't do the things that they should do when they get home, before they go to work. I mean, there's things that ought to be done besides punching a clock. But be that as it may, they won't punch a clock. They won't tell their wife and children that they love them or express anything like that towards them, neither do what's expected of them as a husband or a wife or any such thing and they're laughing and joking all the time and that mirth is heaviness there's a depressed cat underneath that rug <laughs> amen but then there's a guy that seems like he's working hard all the time he don't you know he doesn't laugh or joke too much and he, you know oh that guy's kind of dull he's dealing with life <laughs> happy is he amen so th- I, I'd be y'all uh, very wary, not for danger's sake, but just for your own wisdom's sake of somebody that 's just all the time for fun for fun fun fun, fun fun, fun, laugh, laugh laugh, 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 joke joke joke, joke this this life is i'm i'm glad for you if you 're happy and you can laugh at things, but this life is not a joke I'm very that 's why when God looks for a man, he says that man 's to be grave, and it ain't the it ain't the most fun thing in the world. Of course, but grave doesn't mean you know doesn't mean being put in the ground. I mean that is a grave, but a man that's grave is is he's not a joker. When it's time to be serious, he's serious. Amen. Well, let's move on from there. Got ten minutes left. I figured I would be able to get closer. Verse number 24, The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. A true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. Well, this is a very good verse, so I don't know that we can get into it today, maybe next week. A true witness delivereth souls. Proverbs 11.30 says, He that winneth souls is wise a true witness delivers. So I have heard some brethren and, and I don't I see that there is a, a small difference in context many of us and I say us to include myself he that winneth souls is wise. I do attribute that verse to telling people about the Lord the soul is not being one to me in that case but it, it's being one to the Lord. If you're in that context if you're telling people about the Lord, the soul is being one to him, one to the Lord. And so, this verse says, a true witness delivereth souls. If you're truly telling people what they need to hear, their souls will be delivered. Amen? Now, you have to take into the account of their belief or unbelief. Amen? So, it's not your responsibility to convert them It's not your responsibility to deliver them, but you have the deliverance message, you understand. A true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. We said, Brother Mike, I've been telling people and telling people and telling people I've saw no fruit whatsoever. You might want to tell them something else because the gospel message is a delivering message. And then everything that comes after that in the vein of, Discipleship is also deliverance. And so in that, in that sense, I always say this, and I believe it to be true, that the Bible says God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I believe that's very much a message about delivering souls and winning souls, but I also believe it's very much a, a verse that talks about people who are already saved, you can be delivered through the preaching of the gospel. Well, Brother Mike, I'll just take Bible reading. God didn't God didn't require of you just Bible reading. You say, why not? Because God chose the fullestness of preaching to save them that believe. So well, salvation has much more to do uh with life than just being saved, being born again. Uh, I've seen things that I, I need to some of us need to be saved last night, amen, from gluttony. I looked over at Nathan's plate and he said, Why? I'd eat a lot more if it. I don't want to be a glutton. I said, "Well, you'd be a glutton at the steakhouse, but not at the Chinese restaurant." Amen. You have to eat. You have, have to eat a thousand of these little chunks of meat, amen, in order to fill up. But that's the way it is. But uh, and that's you know I guess a little bit of uh, foolishness in itself. But what I'm trying to get across to you is is what it says here: a true witness, delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness. Speaketh lies. If you're telling the right story, it's going to have the right effect. The Lord said that the Word of God would perform that, that purpose for which he sent it. The thing that God sent the Word of God to do, it will do. You preach the Word of God, folks will get inspired, they'll get delivered, they'll get redeemed, they'll get born again, they'll get established, and from that it'll save you from a million dangers. The least of which is not hell. Amen. The least of hell, you get delivered from hell. You get delivered from yourself. You get delivered from the flesh. You get delivered from a thousand foolishnesses. <laughs> Somebody could have said amen right there because I know that's what I need saving for from most of all. It's my own foolishness. Amen. <clears throat> A true witness delivereth souls. Again, if you got a little pen you don't mind writing in your Bible, just pen out beside that Proverbs 11.30. A true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. Verse number 26, we'll start with this next week. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. The fear of the Lord, strong confidence. There's a connection there. If you want to look at the scripture over the week, just look at that and and parse that out and study that a little bit. Fear of the Lord strong confidence. I asked you a while ago, are you happy? That was the context of the verse we were reading. Do you have confidence? This world emphasizes self-confidence. We emphasize confidence in the Lord. No confidence in the flesh. Confidence in the Lord. So in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. If you don't have strong confidence, perhaps it is that you don't fear the Lord. And many don't. I'm not asking you about that. I'm telling you. Many people don't fear the Lord. Amen. Amen. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children, the Lord, the Lord's children, and his children shall have a place place of refuge. You know, when you find that hiding place, there's not much reason for fear anymore, is there? So the stuff you're you're uh, feared of, the the stuff you're afraid of, a little bit of the uh, Appalachian Mountains jumped out on me there. Which is no big deal to me, but you might not have understood that kind of Greek. Most of the things you're afraid of, you wouldn't be afraid of if you feared the Lord. Amen. That's what the verse says, and that I wrote, in my notes. I wrote beside that, "Wow, that's explanation enough." Amen. Because that solve a lot of our problems. If fear the Lord, if you if you know you're in the right spot, a spot of safety, what fear will you have? that the world might do to you. Amen. 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 In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. All right, let's take a little break right there. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and grace. Open your word to our darkened hearts and give us an understanding. We'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Amen. All right.